Hello, and welcome to another episode of Real Bad, the podcast about real bad movies and why they want to hurt us. Uh, today, I am Nick Jenkins. Well, I'm always Nick Jenkins, but today I am joined by three lovely people who allowed me to subject them to one of the worst movies ever made. First on my right here is Matthew Gatos. Hello. Hello. Okay. Um, <laughs> you didn't ask for more, man. You just said hello. I know and I, you already. Well, you That's true. Sitting across from the two old people or two fresh young people, um, oh, which is Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Miesmer um, and Tobin Addington. Sarah, uh, please introduce yourself. I'm Sarah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I took film classes from Nick, actually. Yeah, of the people in all of our office, I think you and I... May have known each other the longest? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. So we've known each other for about seven years, I yeah, think. Yeah, I was in Nick's screenwriting class. Yeah. Mm. And uh, you also work for SciShow. Yes. And, and I direct How to Adult. the YouTube series How to Adult. Yeah. The reboot of How to Adult. Reboot. Excellent. And sitting next to Sarah is a current professor um, at right. the University of Montana a screenwriting professor, as well as other things. Mm -hmm. Tobin Addington. Tobin, introduce yourself, please. Hi. Yes, so I am Tobin. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm a screenwriter and a director, and I teach film history and film criticism and screenwriting and directing and all kinds of different things. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. And you're writing Crash Course. Uh, well, you've written a lot of Crash Course film. Right. And uh, you're going to be working on writing a lot of Crash Course film criticism. Very exciting. As we're coming. We've been working on the script for Aliens over yeah, the last yeah. week. So, yeah. Which has been a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe we want to watch it again and again and again. After this movie <laughs> that we're going to talk about today, <laughs> yes. I keep going back to some of these movies we're talking about going, oh, remember good movies? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't think I do. <laughs> I think it burned my brain. I think uh -oh. the film that we're going to be discussing today actually might have damaged my friendship with Matt. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> see how I come out the other end of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I feel like we're going to get closer. We're all going to get, we're, you know, we're going to go through the fire and we're going to come mm. out and just have that special right. rapport that you have we'll see. after we'll see. you've gone through. Yeah. Uh, today we are talking about the seminal bad film, Manos, The Hands of Fate. And uh, yeah, it is unapologetically terrible. It is, it is one of the worst films ever made. But I think, I know that specifically Sarah and I have some defenses of it, but mm -hmm. I'm interested to see where that sort of falls on this spectrum of people in this room. I'm curious for Tobit and Sarah both, like what is, do you guys watch bad movies for fun? Recently, I've been starting to watch some bad movies for fun. I think there's something about f bad movies that um, really make you kind of look at them uh, make you think about the director and the actors a little bit more sometimes when I'm watching a bad movie than when I'm watching a good movie. Sure. So I have, I have this nice, like, empathetic response to bad movies where I'm like, what were they thinking? I'm, like, trying to put myself in the shoes of the director. You know, I don't watch a lot of them on purpose. Uh, I, <laughs> I come to them on accident, and I, and I don't have the sort of history with B-movies that I think you do. Um, and so it's 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 not altogether new, but it's it's newish. Most of the bad movies I see were intended to be good and failed miserably, and I sort of saw them by accident. So sure, you know, which I think is probably true of actually most bad movies. But uh, yeah, I have little patience for the bad movies that are trying to be bad, like a, a lot of the, the Sharknado sequels and oh, stuff yeah, like right, that. Right, that, right. That I'm I, like, it's for the for me, I like read a synopsis and watch a trailer. I'm like, I get it. I get yeah. what you're doing. 
don't need to see it for an hour and a half. Yeah, like, I mean, I think part of that is that what I was talking about, that empathy. Like, you're like, okay, you were trying to do this. But if someone was, like, yeah. legitimately struggling and trying mm-hmm. to make a good yeah. movie, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, man, I want to root for you, but, oh, why? <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of, like, where I fall with, like, Ed Wood movies. Yeah. Because of, like, Tim Burton's film and other things that have come out about Ed Wood. Like, you know who he was and why he wanted to make movies and like how hard he was trying to make good movies. Mm. He just didn't have a budget or a crew or <laughs> anyone around him who was talented. Um, <laughs> so he, he made the best movies he could. And I think that comes across in like his films of like, you can at least see that and empathize with like, no, 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 this isn't good, but you tried real hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fair. Yeah. I, I think then I, I think there are some similarities with that in Manos. Which we haven't. You, that's the first time you said the name. Oh yes. No, I didn't. I said Manos, the hands of fate. He did Eddie? it before. Yeah, All right. I, again, blocked it out. Yeah. Burned <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> just anytime static. I hear those yeah. words, I just hear static. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> let me be very clear. I'm. I'm. So this was the first time Tobin had seen this yes. film. This was the first time Matt had seen this yes. film. But it was not the first time for me and Sarah. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I did not see it, or that I saw it without the Mystery Science Theater same oh. riff track on it. Yeah. Okay. Which was interesting. I agree. It was a completely different experience. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I thought you guys had like straight up seen this film, watched it straight through. Before. No, I don't think anyone would have <laughs> would be seeing this movie without yeah. Mystery Science Theater. And that's the, that's what, from my understanding, was I told to people I was watching this, and they were like, "Oh, you're watching MST3K," and I was like, "No, I'm just watching the movie." <laughs> watching and they're like, "Straight, yeah, uh, okay." What kind Why? of choices are you making, Matt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's also like, I am someone who is not a fan of MST3K, right? So. This is not like I am aware of this movie only because I have heard it regarded as like, oh, that's a terrible movie. I've seen people who have done Halloween costumes based on it. Right. And so it's like it's just in the ether of mm. bad movies out there. And mm. so I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just knew it was a bad movie. And that's that's true. That's yes. very true. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Um, well, so we have two things that we need to do, and I'm never sure which order to do them in. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to start. I think I want to do some background on it. But I feel like in order to do that background, we need to have the plot explained first. Okay. And to do that, for that short synopsis, I feel like, Sarah, I want to hear, what is the story of Manos, the Hands of Fate? Tell us, please. Okay, I'm going to try. Okay. Let me... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, a family is driving somewhere uh, and... I can't even remember. Anyone want to fill that detail in for me? Where, where they're driving? They're I think they mentioned Valley it. Valley Lodge. Valley Lodge. Valley Lodge. It's like a vacation okay. place. They're trying to. They're trying to drive to Valley Lodge. Mm-hmm. They. They drive for a very long time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and then they stop by this uh, house that they didn't see before. As they were, they like double back, find this house. There's this creepy man standing outside the house, and they're like, the dude. Um, What's Torgo. His name? Torgo is the creepy man, but mm-hmm. the um, Mike. husband is Mike. Mike, yeah. yes. Ah, Mike yes. sees this and is like, "Ooh, this is a place to stay." And <laughs> uh, is like adamant about staying at this house with this person. Torgo's like, "The master will not like you to be here." <laughs> they stay at the house inexplicably. There's a lot of kind of awkward standing around um, discussions that don't really go anywhere. Uh, the, the the character of the master is alluded to in a painting. Um, dog gets killed. Then they're like, oh, we got to go. And Mike tries to start the car. doesn't work. You know, you're kind of typical 
uh, horror movie tropes. Uh, and then... Uh, but I do want to say, real quick, <laughs> uh, we'll get back into this, and I, uh, I, so I don't want to interrupt your flow too bad, but I want to say those are tropes that kind of came along later. Oh, okay. Like, this was 66. Interesting. And I feel like that's more of a slasher trope, which really didn't start until... Well, I guess, I mean, if you consider Psycho the first slasher, sl- Psycho and Peeping Tom... Uh, from 60, mm-hmm. but then it sort of didn't do much right. until the 70s. Because, yeah. I mean, that, there's not that sort of scenario in Psycho where someone's, like, running and trying to start a car or right. anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that does happen in so many horror movies of, like, oh, if only I could get away, this car won't start. <laughs> yeah, like, inexplicably. Yeah. What it yeah. feels like in Manos is that they're, the director's trying to get our, his audience from point A to point B, but he's like... I don't really know what to put in here, so maybe I'll put like this <laughs> obstacle. Yeah. Um, so he he sprinkles a few of those in there, <laughs> um, and then uh, then the master wakes up. This who's like this polygamous dude wearing a very fancy costume well. outfit. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite generous. Fancy um, coats. Yeah. The the wives uh, fight a bunch. Yep. Over whether to um, kill the child, uh, I guess, and but also just for fun, maybe. Uh, and then nineteen uh, sixty style eroticism. Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. let these women kind of slap like each other slap. for a half hour <laughs> in the yep. sand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to long music, like long shots, music yeah. over yeah. it. And then Nothing we're going to go do other things and then come back. And guess what? They're still slap <laughs> fighting in the sand. <laughs> you um, thought that scene was over? Nope. And then after, like, so Mike gets tied to a pole some point in the, in the sprinkle of things uh, that from A to B. He wakes up from his pole. Like, gets out, no problem. Ladies and gentlemen, he wakes up from his pole. <laughs> that uh, is one of the worst plot <laughs> devices in the entire movie, is, like, to get this husband out of the way, Torgo ties him to a pole so that he can try and seduce the wife. And then, after a while, once this these things have, like, his attempts have failed... Mike just becomes untied <laughs> and walks back into the middle of everything. He's like, all right, what's been going on since I've been gone? And it's like... After one of the wives sexually yes, assaults right, him. Right, yes, yes. Right. yes. But it's like that thing of, uh, like, you like what was the purpose? Aside yep. from, like, I'm just going to put you mm-hmm. over here for mm-hmm. a while. It's a sprinkle. It's yeah. one of the sprinkles. Yeah. 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 Well, we, I don't want Mike in this scene. What do we do with him? Right. Tie him Time. to a pole. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess. And you pointed out that I, I forgot my favorite part of the movie, <laughs> and that is like Torgo's like into the woman. Uh, Torgo is into Maggie, Margaret. Margaret, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, and so he, there's a lot of uh, Torgo, you know, being like reaching out slowly, <laughs> long shots. And her not and her moving. Just standing yeah, there. she's yeah. just like. Yeah. yeah. And the master needs to punish Torgo. So the master, um, after he stands up and talks to his wives, like punishes Torgo. Long story short, I suppose. Um, and then the family tries to leave, and they're like, oh, the best idea. We're not going to make it um, 10 miles to town, so the best idea we can figure out is to go back to the house because they'll never think to find us there. <laughs> like, that's one of the longest dialogue scenes, I feel like, is, is them being like, uh, or Mike being like, uh, uh, they'll never guess. That we'll be back here. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the plot of, or the the twist in Mad Max Fury Road, 
right? They double back. Mm-hmm. Right. They drive back towards them. Yeah. Except yeah. they're they're like, we're gonna fight. Right. How much they they kinda do in this? Kinda. There's a gun. There is a gun. Yeah, that's and, a fight. And it gets shot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It does. Maybe. But at him, it does. Yeah. It yeah. Gets shot at the master. Yeah. But it doesn't do like, He no. shoots yeah, at the master. Yeah. You don't have any idea what happened after that. The camera goes out of focus. I mean, you do know a little bit. Yes. Because the next couple of um, young women driving to Valley Lodge or wherever they're driving. Yeah. You know, yeah. they they bookend the movie where they. Um, <laughs> come to the, the house and Mike is like the master is expecting you I can't right. remember Mike, is, Mike the is the new, new Torgo, Torgo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. what we, we've all said that forever that's like orange is the new black Mike, Mike is the new Torgo, Torgo. Yeah. exactly yes. and I the, want that on a t-shirt the yeah. only yeah. other thing I feel like I should add is that there is also a subplot of this couple making out mm. on the side oh. of the road where these cops keep on coming by and being like guys stop making out at the side of the road <laughs> and they take a swig of whiskey and they're like okay and drive off yeah, yeah. That that happens. Yeah, I think like three, three times. times. Yeah. yeah, I did like that you said in, in the the part where the master punishes Torgo. Long story short, as if there was more to that plot <laughs> than just literally the master punishes Torgo. Well, I mean, there's this whole scene where the master comes in and is like, "I'm going to kill him," and then he like stands and Torgo <laughs> stands and they stare at each other for a little bit, and then the master turns and laughs. Yeah, and Torgo's just standing there. Mm-hmm. Is that in the same scene where he burns his hand off? No, no it's totally before. different scene. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think you did it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that is well pretty done. much Manos the hands of fate. So let me give you guys some background before we really dive in here. Yeah, I do want to know more. Okay, because I didn't. I I have not researched anything about this movie. <laughs> I right. read the back of the DVD case. That's about <laughs> it. It doesn't do justice. No. All right, I want to take you back, <laughs> back to the swinging sixties. All right. Which is funny because there's nothing swinging about anybody in this movie. They're, no. It's a couple. They're very... Making out. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay, Actually, okay, the, 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 the teenagers... That made me believe that was probably like the director's son no. and his girlfriend. It was like, hey, you want to be in a movie? Just make out for hours. No, the the woman that was in it was, I think, originally cast as his wife. Okay. But she broke her ankle or something and she couldn't do... She couldn't, couldn't do the stunts. She couldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she couldn't do the running around the desert. Yeah. So the swinging 60s, El Paso, Texas is where this was shot. Mm. Harold P. Warren, an insurance salesman who would later become a fertilizer salesman. No irony there. <laughs> uh, happens to run into a television writer named Sterling. What is his last name? Siliphant. Sterling Siliphant, who uh, would later go on to win an Oscar for In the Heat of the Night. So he he wrote the All screenplay right. for that. But he was writing for a show called Route 66 at the time. He was also serving as kind of a location scout. I've heard differing things of why mm. he was through, going through El Paso with them. It's all about Route 66, though, because they shot on location for Route 66. So they ran into to each other. They're having a drink. And Harold P. Warren makes a bet with Sterling that he can make a movie all by himself. Oh, no. Hmm. By gum, he did. He did did win that bet. He won that bet. bet. Congratulations, Harold P. Warren. So he he set about doing it. And in doing it, he decided he was going to write it, direct it, and star in it. And oh wait, he is Mike. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. All right, that makes some sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it does now, doesn't it? It's becoming yeah. clearer. This whole thing. Yeah. So he's he got uh, community theater actors, which I'm not going to poke fun at community theater actors because I think 
that's a, a really cool thing to do. And I think it, I think building a community and having a theater that's based in that community is a really positive mm-hmm. thing. Um, oh, and I think they were all trying as hard oh, as they possibly yeah. could <laughs> with the script yeah, and with director me. they were given. Yeah, right, and like, I would say trying more than a lot of actors would, I yeah. think. Yeah, they were some... improvising a decent amount, yeah. I would say. There was a lot, because there wasn't a lot there. Yeah. 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 Um, so Tom Naiman played the master. He also made all the props, <laughs> and uh, his wife did makeup, and they together made the costumes. So that was uh, the family deal. Their daughter, Jacqueline, uh, was the little girl, okay. Debbie, and she has gone on to make to write a book, as Tobin brought up uh, before we were recording. She mm-hmm. wrote a book that has been uh, has a forward from one of the creators of Mystery Science Theater. And it. it's about this experience. She's also does a commentary on the Blu-ray, yeah. and she is. Um, there's a documentary on that restoration about Manos, which is where I'm getting a lot of my information yeah, today. I, wa- I watched that too. It's really good, right? Yeah, it like is. it's a it's a it's a really good documentary. So he goes out, he does this, he casts people. Uh, the The interesting thing that I found was Diane Adelson, who played Maggie, the wife, way younger than Harold P. Mm. Warren. Uh, also, she is the only one who really developed a career after this. She became a fashion model, and she was on the cover of Vogue oh, and wow. Harper's Bazaar, and mm. like had a really good career. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it, it's kind of weird to start with Manos and end up there, but whatever. I think that might be a more of a in spite of situation, yes. <laughs> not because of. Right. Oh no, no, oh, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 Oh God! Yeah, the days before the internet, you can yeah. make a bad. Movie. <laughs> you can make Manos now, and like next week, try to be a model, and people are like, "Hey, aren't you the person from Manos?" Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, even then, I feel like this movie still only mystery. The only reason that anyone knows about it yeah. is because Mystery Science Theater picked it up. You yes, know? and that's the only reason it has the title of worst movie ever made. Oh, I mean, there's other reasons. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> I want to get that's a point that I want us all to talk about yeah. okay. is this idea of worst movie ever made. But let's we'll get back to that. So the filming went on for two and a half months, was supposed to take like a couple wow. weeks. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, wow. that's two and a half months. Really, really surprising. Wow. Yeah, nights and weekends. Oh man, all on nights and weekends and no lights, no <laughs> no sound equipment. They didn't record any sound on set, right? Right, so what? It was all ADR. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> I couldn't tell at all. <laughs> Especially those lines that just kept going, even though the mouth had stopped moving. Or vice, or vice versa. versa. Yeah, yeah. Can't put one over on you. No. Nah, a uh, sharp one. An active viewer. Yeah. The budget of this film, which I believe was paid entirely by Harold P. Warren. Anybody want to take a guess? In 1966 dollars. Twelve. Okay, no. Twelve dollars? <laughs> yeah. Um, like a thousand? You're going to say a thousand? I'm gonna say five thousand. Five thousand. I would actually go with like five or six. You're gonna hedge it. Just... Yeah, I'm gonna say like mid, like yeah, <laughs> nineteen thousand oh. dollars. Did he buy the car? Was that Prince too? Yeah. For making okay. So, okay. but wow. film stock, everything yeah, you guess. had to put in oh, processing, yeah. uh, ADR sessions, ADR sessions, <laughs> two months of lunches. Yeah. yeah. So well, I mean, I don't. I doubt they. I doubt they. Provided craft services. Maybe they did. They must have for as long as the shoots were. They had to have something, I would guess. So the only two people to get paid were (laughs) the little girl, Debbie, who got a bicycle. That's okay. And the dog who got a bag of food. (laughs) Which dog? 
the master's dog. Oh, so, so the, the other dog. Uh, well, the other dog was a bit player. This is a day player. Yeah. Because it was dead. It only had a couple scenes. <laughs> it's pretty quick. Yeah. Adjusted for inflation, that is $143,000. Can you imagine <laughs> spending $143,000 of wow. pretty much your own money? Now, I could be wrong about that. There could be outside investors that I'm not aware of, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find anything mm-hmm. that said that. It apparently was all him. Now, I think he was a fairly wealthy individual, um, insurance salesman, 1966, probably did all right for himself. He had that, he had that salt and pepper, I've been making money for a while, <laughs> look. And I'm guessing the, the car's were nice enough that uh, somebody probably already owned those. Yeah. Which makes me believe that like right. whoever owned those cars probably had a little yeah, bit of money. I think well, they were all convertibles, right? Everything yeah. in that movie was, almost everything in that movie, I think was just people being like, oh, I have this in my backyard. Yes. Yeah. Right. The location, everything. It was all just people donating stuff. So most of that would have just been on camera mm-hmm. rentals. And I think some of the crew got paid because um, they were like, I'm not going to do yeah. this. <laughs> but uh, it's premiere... It was a big gala event with a lot of politicians and officials uh, coming to it because El Paso is kind of a – it's not a tiny town, but it is a small town feel Mm -hmm. to it, I think, at the time at least. And uh, about not even midway through, they start heckling. Mm. And the little girl starts crying because (gasps) she didn't realize she was going to be 80-yard. And so she's like, that's not my voice. The dog was going to die probably. Well, that (laughs) could be it too. Uh, Hal Harold only did two takes of everything. That was it. And then if people complained or asked about it, he would say, ah, we'll fix it in post. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which he didn't. Nope. nope. <laughs> Nothing was fixed in post. Uh, after that, Harold admitted that it was probably the worst film ever made, <laughs> but he was still proud of the fact that he made it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He, he, he won the bet. He won the bet. <laughs> this is a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Fair. Whether yes, or not right. you like it, right. whether or not it's any good at all, it has a beginning. It is a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Because right. there are movies right. that I feel like, there are movies that are so bad they're not really mm-hmm. movies. They're not really telling a story. It's just a collection of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, falls off the face of the earth until 1993 when it became an episode on, I think, the fifth season. Might have been the fourth season. Fourth or fifth season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 gets a resurgence, becomes this... Uh, cult classic again because of up until that point it was definitely the worst film that they had done on mystery science theater and then now it sort of has this resurgence they've restored it it's got a 2k transfer not a 4k but it's a 2k <laughs> which kind of made me upset because there's movies i actually like that don't have nice <laughs> blu-ray <laughs> restorations where i'm like come on someone like they spent more restoring that movie than they probably spent making it well, I mean, it was a. It looks like it was crowdfunded. Yes. So, so that's your job, Matt. <laughs> I guess. But like, I wonder how much they had to raise to restore it, and was it more than the original budget? I don't have that info, but I'm sure we could find out. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think it was 143 thousand dollars. You don't think to, to restore do a it? 2K restore? Yeah, I don't think so. But I, mean, I could be wrong. I'm impressed that they had the original materials well, to restore. Well, they just found it. Like it was yeah. just found in, I think, a theater somewhere. They just like, oh, what is this? Oh, God. <laughs> Should we burn it? Nah, <laughs> someone might want it. Yeah. I bought this Blu-ray. I paid money for this Blu-ray. You did. So there you have it. <laughs> um, okay, which brings us to now, hmm. which I would like to start this conversation with a question. Is this the worst film ever made? That still counts as a film. I mean, are you talking about by still counts as a film? Do you mean has to have a beginning, middle, and end as well? Isn't just a collection of random scenes that someone was like, I made a movie. And like, 
Yeah. I mean, I get it hits the marks. It's a feature-length film. Yeah. So it's, I think it's over 90 minutes. No, it's an hour 14. Oh, it's just under. Yeah. <laughs> God, it feels it like feels Dr. Zhivago. It <laughs> just keeps going. Um, I say, I, I think it is maybe the worst movie I've ever watched completely through. Okay. All right. There might be other movies that I have bailed on and maybe have never seen, so I can't fairly compare. Mm-hmm. But this is the maybe the worst thing I've ever watched the entire thing of. Yeah, this is this yes. is the most technically inept movie I've ever seen. Right. Yeah. That's a movie. That's mm-hmm. an actual movie, and probably the worst if you're just grading on a how good is this movie scale. Right. That has nothing to do with how much I enjoyed it, which is a whole other question. Right. Uh, but I do. But I yeah, probably the worst movie I've seen. So in in terms of you've seen that you've actually sat through. In terms, would you, Sarah, consider this the worst thing you've ever seen, or do you think it's not? Uh, no, I don't think I've ever seen a movie all the way through quite as bad as Manos. Okay. That I can think of off the top of my head. What about you, Nick? I, I will say, no, this is not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's bad, though. Yeah. It's it's real bad. <laughs> it belongs here. It belongs being discussed as a real bad movie. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I take it back. I think I've seen one movie that I that was worse. Perhaps, maybe. There's a movie called Things, which I think is the worst film that still counts as a film Mm. that I'm going to go on record might be the worst film ever made, even though I haven't seen every film ever made. I'm not looking forward to that episode of this podcast. I'm I'm kind of reluctant to have it on the podcast because it is so incredibly bad. Mm. And it's bad in some of the same ways that Manos is bad, but in my opinion, worse Uh, mostly because that movie has a lot of like really immature humor and really immature sort of thinking Mm. about uh, its plot and about Mm -hmm. what it is. And and that's, that gets on my nerves a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, another movie that's completely (laughs) ADR'd. So I don't know what it is that people just, ah, we'll record sound later. I will say though, that was the least offensive part of this movie to me. What was the most offensive? Oh, I have a list. Um, <laughs> but the ADR, I think I may have told you this before we started recording, but it was what I did in my brain was I started watching this movie, realized, oh, this whole thing's going to be ADR, not just this first scene. And so like five, ten minutes in, I was like, okay, brain, you're watching a foreign film that's mm. been dubbed. Badly. And so like the lips aren't going to match mm-hmm. to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like take in what you're seeing and take in the language a little bit separately. And that's what you do when right. if you watch like yeah, anime movies. dubs or you watch like a French film that you prefer the English language track. Sure. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. It was like I knew this was made in Texas, but I was pretending <laughs> it was like a Swedish film that I was watching a dubbed version of. And so the ADR didn't bother me at all. Like even the moments when it was clearly they were still talking and the audio stopped. I was like, all right. Well, well, that, that was didn't a real translate long properly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say that during watching it, I was this isn't maybe the most like upset I have felt while watching a film. Like I hmm. like I wrote down at 14 minutes in, I had the thought of please let this be over. <laughs> that was 14 minutes in. What was going yeah, what on was happening? 14 yeah. minutes? In? That might have been when they're showing the painting of the master over oh, and they're over. They're just staring at mm, it. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I was like, please God. <laughs> <laughs> Just move on to the next scene. I don't. I don't care. 
And then there was something else that I forget what it was, but again, in 34 minutes, I marked down that I again wanted it to be over, which maybe was another shot of the master painting. <laughs> there were a lot <laughs> of shots. Of them, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like, did you well, did yeah. you realize that these two people are the same people? Yeah. <laughs> in case you didn't, we'll yeah. show you again. Um, but yeah, so I mean, some of my least favorite things were just even like dumb little story stuff of like when they're having the discussion with Torgo when they first get to the house. The fact that this whole plot hinges around them being 10 miles away from civilization is not far enough for me to feel like they can't walk it in an emergency. <laughs> no. Okay, but Might as well be 10,000 miles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But also, when they're like standing at the door talking to Torgo and there's shots of Mike. You can see houses, like, yeah, not that yeah, far I mean, away yeah. in the background. Definitely not 10 miles away. Like, maybe two or three miles away. Yeah. You can yeah, see but... houses, and I'm like, you could yell, and those people might hear you. I'm suspending disbelief all over the place for this movie. You have to, um, for certain yes. parts. So, so I'm going off, I'm like, okay, what is the director intending? Yeah. The, the harder part for me in that scene is that they're talking about how, so the only person who wants to go into the house is Mike. Yeah. Torgo doesn't want him to go into the house. Apparently the master doesn't want them in the house. Debbie doesn't want to go in the yeah. house. The dog doesn't want, no one wants to go in the yeah. house. Yeah. I don't, I don't want them to go in the house. Yeah. And, and they talk about how it's getting dark. It's getting dark. Like that's, that's the big reason. They have yeah. to go. And it's not very clearly getting dark. No. Any, anytime soon. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's, it's like noon. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's starting to get dark. And it's like, I, I guess so. If like, if the next shot is you in the dark, I'll believe you. <laughs> and apparently, it was. Yeah, you yeah. have a car too. Yeah, like yeah, turn around and leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mike kind of like dismissing his wife. He's like, oh, she's doing it again. Like, <laughs> like well, my like, favorite. <laughs> there's a moment later on in the film where they're like in the house already, and a bunch of weird shit's already been happening, and she's like, Mike, I'm not comfortable. Like, he's being weird. This is weird. This is weird. He's like, it's just your imagination. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like. What you just said makes no sense because she wasn't like, I saw a demon or I saw this or I believe this. She was like literally telling you I'm uncomfortable. And he says, it's your imagination. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it's zero percent imagination. You have a weird guy wanting to touch her who told you you can't stay here and yet you're staying here. Like Torgo's motivation also was off to me. Because there were so many times where he was like, you you can't stay here. The master wouldn't want you to stay here. And then Mike's like, well, I don't know. It's Maybe we can. He's like, y- you can stay. The master won't be happy, but you can stay. And then like, he's like, I'll help with the Lose luggage. The bags, yeah. Goes and grabs the bag. He's like, you shouldn't stay here. And it's like, you just said you would help them with the luggage. Torgo has a crush. Yes. Yeah. Right. So he's and, conflicted. And Torgo is amazing. Toro's the Toro's only. The best part that's of that a, like, that's the best performance in this movie. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. probably entirely by accident. I have no. Well, the character, the actor was on LSD the whole time. <laughs> well, that's just my guess. I, I wondered if the if the if the character was supposed to be, and that makes sense because he yeah. certainly. That's met, not a joke. That was no, acting. no, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. But that's that he brings out. There's a life to him in this in this movie that no one else has. Did he yeah. have two eyebrows? It, it did kind it's of like a drawn, like it was drawn on evil eyebrow, above, yeah. but then he still had his regular eyebrow. <laughs> and then in the original, there were a couple of original sketches of what they wanted to do where he was supposed to be a satyr, so he was supposed to have uh, <laughs> like goat legs. Yeah. Yes. And then they Ooh, they okay. abandoned that. <laughs> like, we'll go halvesies. Yeah, and they'll just make big <laughs> yeah. knees. Sure. That's exactly. Is that what that was supposed yeah. to be? He's supposed well, to have goat legs under those pants? No. <laughs> no. They, that was an original idea, but they decided they needed to do something to make him. M- more, more strange yeah because yeah. i noticed i think it's like only in like one scene i really noticed is like when he's going to help with the luggage like he yeah. has like a giant bulge on his knee <laughs> yeah. yeah that is never 
really brought up. I was like, I guess that's why he has a limp. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, he can't walk right. Yeah, which is interesting because okay, so um, I want to be nice to this movie real quick, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I want to say is, okay, you chill out. <laughs> <laughs> the film. I feel actually does an effective job of creating a sense of dread and a sense of being trapped once they're there. Now, I agree that they're in terms of uh, character motivations, it makes no sense as to why Mike is so forceful about this. But I once they're there, I'm with you. I'm like suspension is at least something supernatural is happening. They can't leave. And that is a very effective thing for me. Like I, the the sensation of being trapped is something that not a lot of movies do really well. Hmm. Uh, Texas Chainsaw is like one of the best examples of it, especially from a similar time. Really, only four years, no, eight years later. Uh, so, I felt like as bad as this thing was made and put together. I feel like there were moments where I'm like, I am legitimately upset that they are stuck here. Like this is, I am worried for them, especially the wife, because she has been so vocal about saying, I don't want to be here. This is bad. Please, we need to leave. And then he just yells at her. And so there's a lot driving my upset feelings. I think too, there's um, unintentionally, you know, because it feels like, a lot of the takes, the director just did not tell the actors what was going on. That is correct. Um, and so and so there's just these long periods of time where they're just standing there. And it's very, it makes you very uncomfortable mm-hmm. to watch these people just stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my description of what those moments felt like for me was when you're playing a video game and two characters are having a conversation that is reliant on you pushing a button for the next character to say something. Because it would just be like... You can't stay here. And then he would just stand there, (laughs) kind of wobbling a little bit, staring at the person. Twitching. And then five seconds of silence later, it would cut to another shot of being like, no, we're going to stay. Like, as if no time had passed between their lines. (laughs) Like, Somebody went to make a mac and cheese and then came back and pushed the X button. Yeah, like, it was very clear that, like, in the editing, they were not worried about tightening up this Mm -hmm. film. (laughs) But I found that, yeah, I found that unnerving. 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 That's a good mm-hmm. way to yeah. put it. Mm-hmm. For me, the the sense of dread was lost a little bit in the moments where I couldn't figure out the geography of where <laughs> they were. Like when the little girl escapes. Yeah. And like escapes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. She like just like very quickly like the dog goes this way and is like suddenly outside yeah. and they can't find the dog and then she, the little girl goes that way and then she's in another demon room where she finds another dog mm-hmm. and it's so it's. At times, they would go in this door, and they're suddenly in a weird portal world where all the wives are, and the master is. And then other times, they just easily were like, let's go outside and look for the dog. Like, it was so... Like, I did not feel that sense that they couldn't really leave. Like, they could have gotten in their car and driven. The car didn't start. Right, right, right. But I mean, like, the again, the walking idea, the leaving... I didn't feel But necessarily... they did try those things, and something yeah. kept preventing them. Now, and and, and I'm not saying this movie is not inept. It's completely inept. But I could see what the director was intending, as Sarah said. Yeah. And, like, I could see glimmers of, like, okay, you're trapped. And, yeah, there's this idea of, like, I don't know. You can do things like that with geography. It's something Lynch does is – Things that should make logical sense don't. Uh, the house in Lynch's Lost Highway that Bill Pullman and mm-hmm. Patricia Arquette live in, 
the the geography of that house makes no sense yeah. at all, and it purposefully, but it's purposeful, right? And Lynch is very purposeful yes, about. Yes, they do that. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kubrick did it in The Shining as well. Yeah, there's offices in there that have windows that the geography. It's a hallway behind that right. office, so it's like, yeah, it's always to throw you off, and maybe that's what the director's doing in this. <laughs> yeah, is I guess like the one thing I would argue is I don't think it was intentional. I think it was yeah. an a, a, like happy, weird accident. Right. Yeah, I think right. he thought in his head, it was like, oh no, through that door is the master's chamber, so it's this thing. But it was such a different, th- like I, again, budget and all that aside, I understand this, but like my main thought when they went in that house was this house is not nearly creepy enough. <laughs> like that house just looked like a nice little house that like really? I thought, I I didn't see anything menacing in that house aside from the painting until they went into the master's quarters. Like, it just looked like a cheap kind of house that I could see my college friends living in. Matt actually lives in a house <laughs> yeah, exactly. with a bunch of hands all over. <laughs> a big painting of himself and a dog. <laughs> That's a nightmare house for me. Like the just yeah. the 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 tracked the old sort of run down tracked housing. There's an emptiness. There's a void to it. That the the outside was more sketchy to me than like the living room area. Like once they were inside, like kind of chilling, I was less scared for them. Yeah, I had the opposite. Interesting. <laughs> once I was in the house, I was like, oh god, I need to leave this place. Um, and there's like, there's you know, there's the couch, but then there's no like Torgo sleeps on the floor, kind of in a pile of his own filth. It's like a dirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. like a pile yeah. of dirt. Yeah, and there's there's. Stuff on the wall. I don't know. It. It. it yeah. th- there was something very unsettling about this. I also wanted to see some context of where that painting was. It was like right. Was you literally turn to the right when right, you come in. Right, but did they ever show? The... Oh, you want an establishing shot? Yes. No, you don't. No, you that's don't. A, yeah. Not like here. I see them look in that direction, that's not and then that there's like a close up of the painting. <laughs> I wanted some sort of like, is it on a mantle? Is it just hanging on a blank wall? Is it sitting on the floor? Like where is, look, is it? It's classic. Is it eight feet tall? Montage editing. Tall? Yes. <laughs> cut from what they're looking at. You, then you cut to what they no. see. As far as like getting me to believe they're looking at that, absolutely worked. Okay. Just like I believe they were looking at a painting, uh, whether or not they were when they were shooting it, I don't know. But like some context of like. Even how big that painting is. Like, in your head, how big is that painting? I mean, I would say uh, 36, 48. All right. Poster size. Yeah. That everyone yep. else was kind of thinking, okay. I think it's, yeah. I was thinking maybe a little bigger, like over a mantle fireplace kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's just one of those like, little details that shows the the lack of skill behind the camera. Oh, certainly. And I mean, yeah, there's a thousand examples of that in this movie. But yeah, but but by the same token, this this insurance salesman is is able to do something like figure out montage, you know? I mean, part of it, I guess, you watch enough movies, you start to pick up on that sort of thing, but it's kind of a sophisticated concept. I just all of it. Well, also, if you if you think that the the that this place, this house that they're in, this whole kind of other world that this house inhabits is is a is all about dislocation, mm-hmm. then it makes some sense that you don't see where the paint. I'm not saying that was yeah. by choice. I'm not saying that was his aim. Yeah. But but there is something that adds then to that sense of I don't know where I am. If I walk through that door, where am I going to be? I don't know. It could be anywhere. It could be fires and 
presume what I thought were dead women. I thought the wives were dead when I first saw yeah. them standing against the pillar. And Not then... dead the way you know it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So anyway, I think I think you could. I think there's a way to read that that's that's more charitable to the movie, but not necessarily more charitable charitable to the filmmakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good way to think about it. I hadn't really put that together. But yeah, more charitable to the film, not to the filmmaker. Right. Yeah, like right. that's almost it's almost thinking about it in an opposite direction of like you were talking about being empathetic to the mm. filmmakers and the crew and thinking of like oh, but they put so much work into this. It's like if you can remove their intentions and everything from the film and look at it in like a like pretend it was a computer ai building yeah this kind movie. of like breaking oh my it down. god yeah that's even creepier <laughs> yeah yeah like scarier. break it down in that direction I, I like that idea of thinking about it of like okay but does it work like whether or not intentional right. whether like whatever does it kind of work so on that line i have a reading of this movie that i think I don't know that it works, but if you think about when this movie's made, this is 1966. Mm-hmm. This is a height of um, uh, uh, miniskirts. This is the when, when that hits maximum sort of sales. We're, we're six years after the FDA approves the pill. This is sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. I think that what this movie is, a, I think you could read this movie as being about the fears of the inadequacy of the American nuclear family. You have this mm-hmm. family who is who is who has all kinds of internal issues, which we all, you know, all kinds, <laughs> and they get lost in the middle of middle of America, and they're presented with this alternative, this scary alternative view of a family, which is polygamy and pagan cults and all this stuff. And that, and that there's something in the dread in this movie I see about, uh, uh, these, about this nuclear family unable to negotiate what this new world is. Yeah. Mm. Now, I, I don't think that they intended that at no. all. But I think that if you, if you look at the movie just purely as an artifact of 1966, I think that you can see some echoes of that in there. Yeah. I think you're... I think you're right in that it's probably it was not as well thought out as that, but I think those ideas can totally permeate like the the writing process of it. And I think even having the, like the teenagers making out in the car right, right. is a little bit of a statement on like well, and you're what, seeing two different kinds of convertible, right? You're right. seeing the big boat of a 1950s convertible that's a very nice car, very nuclear family for the time, but then you're seeing the two. The two people that are clearly it's a sports car, two seater little. I think it was a Shelby even uh, might have been something else, but it looked like a Cobra. So mobile. yeah, it was a makeout mobile. It was yeah. about the pleasure of of something. It wasn't about family. It wasn't. And, and so, he's wearing a wedding ring. The guy making out in the car has a wedding ring on. And right. The woman doesn't. Uh-huh. So there's all kinds. You know, there's there's that that plays into it too. I think. And I think it's important to look at that stuff. I mean, that's the, the thing that we talk about a lot with Zeitgeist when we're talking about. Mm-hmm you know, cinema uh, or any art piece, not just cinema, but mm-hmm. we, since we're talking about cinema here, <laughs> we're going to talk about the the spirit of the time infuses the artist yeah. in ways they don't even think about. And one thing I'd like to add on to that is the idea of the, that is also coming at a time um, where there's a lot more female empowerment going mm-hmm. on and a lot of, of the more masculine side of um, our culture, specifically in the U S mm-hmm. was starting to, basically say, well, what is the value of the American man? And if you look at the husband in here, he is ineffective, ineffectual. Uh, he fails at everything he tries to do. He can't get the car working. He uh, can't defeat the master. At the end, he is completely emasculated and turned into this servant for the stronger man with more women. And it's so I think there's a lot there. And it wouldn't surprise me that a person like Harold Warren 
would have these subconscious fears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that would not surprise me at all. And that's what makes you think is like that none of that is intentional. Yeah. Because and I And we're not saying it right. is. And it is a little bit of stereotyping of like man in his fifties and Texas insurance salesman, maybe not the most progressive mind <laughs> in nineteen sixty six. So a lot of this stuff could have been just whizzing by him. But I think the inherent fear that's maybe part of that is, I think, totally in there. Like, within him, within the writing, the directing, the idea of the entire film, I can totally see that fear being realized. So we've got, we kind of got, you know, looking at Manos as, like, you would dissect a normal film. You have looking at Manos as it was built by a computer AI. (laughs) And then we have a Manos um, dissection that is, like, treating it like, uh, journal from like Pompeii, yeah. kind of like a time capsule. Yeah, mm-hmm. of like which all films are right. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think undoes that just a little bit is the ineptitude of the filmmaking itself. Because if it was hitting all those cultural points that were very relevant at the time, I and was otherwise a good movie. It wouldn't have been heckled at its premiere. Well, no, no, I no, disagree. No, no, no. Yeah. I think it lends credence to it because because it was very obviously unintentional. So you're like, okay, if you want to if you want to talk about the truth behind someone's subconscious, you can't be doing it intentionally, right? Okay. And that is the whole point of studying zeitgeist, and that's why looking at films from Japan reveal a very different zeitgeist from a lot of the filmmakers, not all of them, of course, but but a lot of the filmmakers than American filmmakers mm-hmm. or than Korean filmmakers or whatever. It's not necessarily an intentional thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes Takashi Miike actually intentionally goes down a path to talk about the role of women in Japanese society. But then a lot of times he doesn't. It's just something that's a part of his makeup um, and living in that society. And I, I, I really... The more I think about it, the more I'm starting to feel that. Because when you write a horror movie, one of the biggest questions is, what am I afraid of? Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. look at what happens to him in here, yeah, yeah, you're very clearly, he is afraid of some very specific things. Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if he had like a young daughter when he was writing this film. Right. Because he like, you write what you know. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to just make a film pretty much on a bet. Like he probably was like, all right, I'm going to write a story about me, my wife, and my daughter getting lost in the middle of Texas. Right. And running into this polygamous cult. And and his yeah. wife being sexually assaulted, basically. Right. And, and him being sexually assaulted. Yes. Yeah, it's all of his worst fears. It's that that loss of power and yeah. loss of control. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that one of one of his intentions was he was like, I got to make it sexy enough so people will watch it. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the 30-minute... <laughs> Sand Cat slap fight. fight. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. No, I want to kill the little girl. Well, I don't. <laughs> Get slaps everywhere. The worst slaps. She will grow up to be a woman. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Slow down. <laughs> little girl will be woman. I know. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, I, I love that. I love that that uh, that there's more going on <laughs> in, this, in this poor guy's head. And you know, there there was a thing that um, the woman who played Maggie, I think her name was Debbie. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I think it is Debbie. Uh, said when she was auditioning, "This is one of the skeeziest things I've ever heard." <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like, do you want to tell the story? Um. If, let's see. Uh. So she she goes in and he's like, uh, "Take your shirt off." Yep. She's like, 
no. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I was just testing you. Yep. Oh, <laughs> of course. That old wow. test. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, she, did, she was like, true to his word, he did not make a move on me. Yeah. So... But you still got to look sideways at him. Like, yep. Yeah. 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 We all know that wasn't a test. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you wouldn't have stopped her had she started right. taking yeah. her shirt off. Right. You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was just testing you. Right. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you did not get hired. Yeah. yeah. That's the eighth girl that took her shirt off today. We can't hire any of them. What's wrong with these yeah. women? Yeah. I need a girl with a nice moral compass. <laughs> you take your shirt off. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> all these women keep taking their shirts off for me. <laughs> it's wrong with America. Yeah. <laughs> you are all cast as the wives. <laughs> yes. So um, aside from the the writing or the, the background on the writing, one of the things that has always amazed me about this film is the cinematography because it is uh, atrocious. Mm-hmm. Like, it oh, is... You're about to say because it's great. No. <laughs> 16, look, 16 millimeter can look amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you do it right, 16 millimeter can look breathtaking. Yeah. This doesn't. It's it's <laughs> it's shit. But there are a couple of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones is that it was shot on an old Bell and Howell 16 millimeter camera. And there's a wind up, mm-hmm. and it only could shoot for 32 seconds. Uh, so and but one of the biggest he used things all of those yeah. on every shot. Yep. <laughs> no, no matter how wait, many lines wait, were left. No shot in this movie is longer than 32. seconds? I don't believe so. Because they felt long. They did. Well, because wow. there's nothing right, happening. Right, right, right. Okay, that's amazing. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, actually, when you start looking in a timeline as you're editing to realize how long 32 seconds mm-hmm. is. Like, oh, that's, yeah. Uh, like, even just, like, three frames of extra silence yep. in some things. You're just like, too much. It's awkward. So imagine yep. he was just like, we can leave the 12 seconds of silence in. No one will be bothered it's by that. Fine. <laughs> uh, but one of the biggest things is that it had a parallax viewfinder. So that means mm-hmm. that the viewfinder is not seeing what the lens sees. It's just off slightly mm-hmm. because the way they have to split the beam um, and the mirror to, to actually be able to see it. So that's why the framing is all freaking weird is because the camera operator was literally not seeing what the camera was seeing. So was he seeing more or less? He was probably seeing off to the left. Oh, okay. <laughs> so not even just like wow. weird cropping, but like completely different. Image. Yeah, it, it's completely different. It's it's uh, the same thing happens if you hold up your finger in front of your uh, face and you close one eye, you'll notice that the finger moves. You can see, right, yeah, right. yeah, and that's the so that's basic, essentially that's okay. a parallax. Uh, so you're seeing as if it was like only looking through your right eye, but the film is made with your left yes. eye. Ew! Wow. <laughs> in in thinking about that, it's a miracle that anything is <laughs> yeah. framed yeah. right in right. this. Yeah, uh, I had a little camera like that when I was a kid, and I didn't. I always wondered why. It's not. I don't remember taking the picture <laughs> I'm really that bad way. Bad at this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I couldn't frame anything. Like it was always completely fucked up. Mm. So I, I, I feel bad for the camera operator because I'm sure he's like, yeah, I think it's okay. I don't yeah. know. I bet it was also just like one of his coworkers from the insurance sales. No. <laughs> no. No. It was a real DP. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Based, I know you'd said that, like, the one guy made all the costumes and the, and the props and stuff, and so he was the, the but, so I assumed everyone was just kind of a slapped together crew. Well, he it was. was go yes. ahead. Well, but I some mean, people actually had experience. Yeah. I mean, okay. he had to. That's the thing. It's like, you have to, I mean, you have to be able to figure out your F-stop, like, because you, because yeah. you can't, you can't just eyeball it with one that's of those true. cameras. Right. Yeah. And that's why when I saw it, I was like, this is great. If this is just like the insurance <laughs> yeah. salesman's fair, friend. Nothing is over or underexposed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of, I some. I think a lot of it's underexposed. It all feels pretty underexposed. But, but not like to a, like, yeah. yeah. You can see yeah. things in it. Right. Yeah. Right. You can yeah. see the moon, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, some... they, I mean, yeah, and obviously without like they maybe had one light bulb when they were doing the outside Probably. shots, like <laughs> which think... is why the cops only go like two feet. I love yeah. that. I love that. <laughs> These cops, right, the car pulls up in the middle of the dark. They're looking. There's, what's this noise out here? What's yeah. going on? They get out of the car. They take two steps forward with the flashlights, shrug, and get yeah. right back yeah. in the car. It's amazing. Yeah. El Paso PD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't count on them to save you. No. I love that. Unless you're making out. They will stop you right away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> morals. It's about yeah. morals. It's all about morals. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you can't eyeball that. And, and that's something that, like, you know, filming now a movie of this, you would be on a DSLR yeah, where you could, could at least kinda. see it. Mm-hmm. You can even just set it to auto. Yeah, like we <laughs> have that sure luxury now. Where if you yeah. wanted to, you just set just, things to auto. Right. Yeah, you, but you uh, have to know something with with that camera, the yeah. camera that they use. Yeah, I mean, I've only shot film very little, and what little I did do, it was like I was impressed that people could make film look great. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's pain in the ass. Like it's so easy to like. Oh, I read my light meter slightly yep. wrong, and now everything mm-hmm. is black. Yeah, like everything's mm-hmm. pitch black. And I actually believe so. In that documentary in the Blu-ray, um, they were talking about how they had a very low ASA too. Which yes. I, I was like, my initial thought. I don't know the technology they had at the time, but I was like, these crystals must be huge in this mm-hmm. film. Like this ASA must be massive, but it was pretty low. So I think they did actually have lights, but you know, just like. Floodlights, yeah, you know, yeah, to, work get, lights. to get any yeah. exposure. And I, the rule is, and this is something that Sarah knows really well, and I'm sure Tobin and Matt do too. But for our audience, in in truth, if you're gonna underexpose something, film is the thing to underexpose. You don't want to overexpose mm-hmm. film, right? Because then you're just you have no information. Mm-hmm. But right. if you're underexposing, you can correct for underexposing. Yes, you can correct right. for underexposing. It's a ama- again the thing to me about this is sort of. We talked about this before we started rolling on this podcast is to me, I am amazed that something like this exists in its complete form. Yeah. The thing to me that is impressive is that this thing didn't collapse under its own weight within the first week of shooting. Mm -hmm. It's exposed. It could have been exposed better. (laughs) Yeah. But it is exposed. It is it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has a clear protagonist. Mm-hmm. It has a clear antagonist, mm-hmm. two of them. I just wanted to ask real quickly, uh, having not watched the MST3K version of this, is it at least fun watching it with through those eyes of having people riff on it as you're watching it? So I thought it was fun watching it by itself, but um, I think that... Manos is one of those movies where, like we were kind of talking about, it's kind of unnerving. Um, you're like, ooh, who are these people in Texas doing this weird movie? And it's very awkward and uncomfortable. And the and the Mystery Science Theater folks made it a little less uncomfortable gotcha. because we're like, we're together watching this movie. So we're okay. suffering with yeah. you. Because yeah. this is one of those that people do occasionally like have like midnight screenings of at certain theaters where like large groups of people go to like collectively hate this movie well i think there's a dynamic that i think you would have had a better time watching this if all four of us were watching it together yeah right because i was alone in my apartment and i think that is the worst way to watch skin crawling on my couch just like (laughs) someone let me leave (laughs) i want to (laughs) go but i think and that's what mst3k provides with a lot of these films is this idea of i'm watching it with a group of people who are, you know, making light of it. And they've yeah. watched some movies that are not just bad, but also upsetting mm-hmm. that like, there's one called the incredible melting man, which is a very upsetting film and gross, but with them, 
it's fun because they're also expressing those same feelings much more eloquently yeah. than, you know, I could. But yeah. And I I have to admit at this point that like MST3K is probably my favorite thing. <laughs> like if I had to give up a thing, hmm. I would give up Star Wars before I gave up MST3K. There oh, is a wow. there is a a feeling of camaraderie with MST3K and a feeling of these are my friends who understand me. <laughs> um, and I learned more about filmmaking uh, early on from watching MST3K and listening to them subtly point out elements by making a joke about something that actually relates back to the screenwriting mm-hmm. or actually relates back to um, cinematography or whatever. It, it's fun by making these references that you know feel like only I get it. So I, I'm a huge fan of MST3K. So yes, it's more fun to watch Manos yeah. with MST3K, but I feel like I'm a little gotcha. biased there. So okay. now, Tobin, you'd never seen it before. Never. So you I w- should watch the MST3K I, version now. I really want to. I, I had told you before we started recording, I saw that there was the Riff Tracks version, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, and mm-hmm. I almost accidentally downloaded that. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I, I watched this uh, the first time on a plane on an iPad with oh headphones Oh, my goodness. On, which is <laughs> not the way to experience this the first time. Yeah. Uh, and I was also telling you- I Speaking sh- of being uh, trapped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not really wanting people around me to, to see, see what I was what watching. watching. You know? Because yeah. everybody behind, like, does that. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Are you choosing to watch Manos? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, in that cat fight, is very much like it's yeah. very yes. scandalous. Yeah, plane, yeah. Anytime I watch something watch. slightly scandalous on a plane, I'm like, oh god, nobody see my screen, please. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And and if if someone had known Manos and seen me watching it, we might have had a moment of, hey, you're watching Manos. Mm. But anybody who did like a civilian would not have yeah. a clue. Of, um, since then, I I showed pieces of it in a couple of classes last week, uh, um, and. Watching it in a group of people, you're totally right. Seeing it with a group of people is an entirely different experience. Mm-hmm. And not ever having seen the the uh, Mystery Science Theater version, that was you know as close as I've been to it is having other people watch it and laugh at it and like puzzle at it and be like, what is going on in this scene in this shot? Like that was the the camaraderie of that made it an entirely different viewing experience. I think. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what MST3K provides yeah. a lot yeah. of times is that because. Bad movies like this, specifically like Manos, there's, there are some others that have been on there and some others that I've seen outside of there, like things that like the joy is experiencing it through another person's eyes. Mm. Like I've seen this. I can't wait to get to this part where you watch it and then I can watch your face. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and, and, and see what you say. So, yeah, stuff like that. And I think, you know, that's true of good movies, too. A lot of times. A lot of times it's just much more fun to watch a good movie with a, a group of people who are really into it or really love it. So at about this point. I want to ask how each of you, if you could, if you think about it, if you could, how would you fix it? How would you make this movie better? Is it possible? Sarah, please. Um, I don't know if it would fix it, but I think the, one of the biggest things that I would do and try to get the most bang out of your buck for one action would be to direct your actors. Um, because I agree. They, that was like... <laughs> I mean, it, it might remove some of that, that kind of unnerving weirdness that happens with that movie. But I think giving your act, because they, they were all very determined to kind of stay in character yeah. and take mm-hmm. it to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you had given those those actors a chance by giving them motivation and, you know, action <laughs> to do. <laughs> what am uh, I doing here? Just look. Okay. Yeah, I think that would that would be the biggest bang for your buck in that movie. Yeah, I agree with that actually. Tobin, 
You know, I think that anything you did to fix this movie would ruin it. I think that there is a purity to the to the ineptitude of this movie that if you if you begin to tinker with it and didn't just do a full complete completely new script complete all, maybe almost completely new cast I'd keep Torgo uh, completely <laughs> new locations you just have to redo everything the, down down to the logic of the story yeah and if you and if you did all of that it's a whole different movie which mm-hmm. would probably be better but. You, I think you would lose something in that I appreciate about this movie in that artifact quality that we were that we were looking at. So I don't think I'd touch it. That's fair. All right, Matt. Uh, my main idea, and I again only watching it once. It's like in my head, this is possible, but maybe not. Would be to cut this down to like a twenty-two minute Twilight Zone episode. Oh, okay. Mm. Like cut out all the awkward silences. That's a good fifteen minutes. Um, some cat fight. You yeah, you can cut out like. Out. And I think there's even like parts of the story that like you could cut out if you were thinking about like how can we make this 22 minutes and keep the overall story of like family gets abducted at this house becomes like people who then l- work for the master kind of thing like that. That's, that's your, like main story arc is just the family and what is directly happening to them. I think there is plenty to cut out of there that you could turn this into a a 22 minute serviceable like twilight zone-esque kind of show yeah um, I, sp- I i like that idea because if i it's weird yeah. enough it's almost a project i would like to try myself <laughs> right <laughs> like i would like to maybe like take manos just put it in a timeline and start hacking away at it oh i thought you were like let's go i'm gonna get my friends together and we're gonna go you know <laughs> no, find no, a no, cabin no 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 because <laughs> i'm like sign me up Reboot. yeah tobin take your top off <laughs> yeah <laughs> no all right you're hired, you're hired. <laughs> yes you play maggie <laughs> um uh, yeah okay how That's, do you want to fix it nick um i'm I really am closest to Tobin on this that I think that the artifact itself is is really fascinating and kind of important. I feel I feel that way about I would say 99% of films that the preservation of the thing is important. It's one of the things that you and I that Matt and I have talked mm-hmm. about a lot with Star Wars and this 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 thing that George Lucas did to them that those original time capsules are no longer available is I think really gross and and it upsets me on in a way, not just because I'm a Star Wars fan, but just in, because I'm a fan of film and because I'm a fan of history and, and learning about history. And so there's part of me that's very much that way. But if I if I had the opportunity to go back, I would replace the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to what Sarah says. I would I think that you could take the same script. It would still be a bad movie. But if we were going to make it more watchable, mm-hmm. having a director who could actually interact with the actors and... I mean, maybe you lose something with that, too. I, I don't know. Maybe you really do lose some of the naivete of what happened here. But at the same time, there is a there is a painfulness to watching these poor actors mm-hmm. that and, and this has been a big thing throughout my entire filmmaking and film going life. I always the actors are the people I have the most empathy for. Because they're the ones that the audience sees. They're the they're the storytellers. They're the, the really the the main storytellers. And to see them not getting what they need is really it's upsetting and sad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, especially in smaller productions like this, don't know what they're getting into. Yes, right? thank you. That is a very big. They don't know yeah. what the final product is going to be. They're there for a day or two on some of these things. Yeah. And this even happens in big budget movies where an actor shows up, they do their part, and they're like, "That script seemed pretty good. Like, I think I did a good job." And right. they see the final product and like, oh, 
God, what yeah. happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because you're you're trusting in that director to have the taste to look at it and say yes, good, or no, we need to do that again. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is what the problem is. And if he was only determined that I will only do two takes of each thing, which I'm sure was a budgetary thing, not a creative sure. choice. Yeah, no, that was not a creative <laughs> choice. He wasn't like, I want to get the realness from you. We're only doing two takes. He <laughs> yeah. was like, I've got this many feet of film. We're doing yeah. two takes. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that is a thing. But the, the film Primer was a film that they rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And I think they only had one take for everything because mm-hmm. they had just enough. Really? Yeah, I think that I think I would yeah. somebody double check me on that, obviously. Yeah. But I, I do think that uh, Primer had just one take for everything, but they rehearsed it like a play. Right. And Whereas, you could do yeah. that with something like Manos. Right. Especially because so. you had community Russian theater arc. actors. Russian arc, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you had theater actors. They who were, would be used to rehearsing. Like, yeah. hey, everyone, learn your lines. Right, right. Like, yeah. get some chemistry going and yeah. then we'll shoot this thing. Right. Rehearsal is always one of the first things to be jettisoned uh, mm-hmm. from beginning filmmakers. And I think it is possibly... Yeah. At the top of what is the most important is yeah. the ability to not only have your actors work with each other, yeah. but have you as a director work with them and think about your story in terms of uh, these characters and and how these actors are working and everything. So, so yeah, I, I think I mostly agree with Sarah in that I think a different director would have made a very different, more watchable movie. That's my thought. But at the end of the day, I would probably side with Tobin that this mm-hmm. this disaster is kind of perfect. <laughs> but Tobin, I'd be really curious to hear what you would say. Like, say a student of yours made this mm-hmm. and they were like, they brought it to you and they were like, how could I make this better? Like, what would be the thing that you would say? I would say you should have listened to me six weeks ago when, <laughs> when we talked about your script and I told you all the things that would not work when you shot this and you can't show this to anybody and you got to start over. <laughs> that's, that's what I would say. And, 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 and you know, I, one of the people, one of the groups I showed this to was a senior mm-hmm. project class who were about to go in to do this that then is a movie that they're going to take out into the world and send to festivals and try and get into grad school or do all this stuff with this, with this movie. And I think it's important for them to see how important things like rehearsing your actors are, the pacing of a, of a movie, not, not just... Just can you get stuff in frame and, and mostly in focus? So anyway, that's that's what I would I, because you would have to go you'd have to go to the you'd have to burn it to the ground and start from the beginning. I think to make it good. Okay, we're gonna rate this now. I'm gonna start. My rating system is pretty simple. I rate bad movies like storms. A one eh, is kind of bad, maybe forgettable. A five could kill you. <laughs> I'm giving this, and I've thought about this a lot. I'm giving it a four because I have seen worse and more unwatchable things, but it's close to a five. But I'm giving it a four. This is this is a four out of five for me. Matt. Uh, my rating system is pretty much a star rating system out of five, but instead of stars, it's possessed mushroom puppets. Because <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast, we watched Troll and I f- forgot our rating system was going to be the thing we were stuck with forever. Forever. <laughs> so I based it on Troll. But for now it lives in infamy. Um, so my level of enjoyment is pretty much what I go off of, of just like I'm, I'm assuming all these movies we watch will be bad in some way or another, but did I enjoy watching it? So because of that, and because you have warned me that there might be worse out there in the world, I'm not going to give this a zero out of five, but I will give it a one out of five possessed mushroom puppets. There's a one. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. Fair. Tobin. 
inspired by that, uh, my rating system is the Torgo scale. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one to five Torgos. Uh, Torgo being uh, how much is there worth watching in this movie? So understanding these are all bad movies, uh, you know, a, a one tor- or a zero Torgo movie is one that you should just not waste your time with. Just don't go anywhere near. Great. And a five Torgo is one you should really see. There's a lot in it that you should, because I think Torgo is the thing you should see this movie for. Yeah. It's fair, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and so if you're, um, if you're watching it by yourself, it's <laughs> it's. <laughs> Probably like a one or two, one and a half Torgos. Yeah. But I think ultimately. Oh, which half? <laughs> the goat half. The knees, definitely yes. the knees. Yeah. Yeah, Waist knees. down, yeah. <laughs> I think ultimately, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this though a three Torgo movie because I think there's Torgo in it. And then, <laughs> and then, That's a fact. And then, and then the other two are just this, the, the, what I've come to appreciate about it, watching with the crowd and this idea of, of it as an artifact. So I, I give the three, three Torgos. Fair. Okay, Sarah. I'm gonna actually. I'm going to take a similar route and say um, I have. I have to have two scales. I think, but but one scale will be hands, creepy hands. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the higher the creepy hand rating, uh, the the as a craftsperson, the the less I like it. And yeah. so I'd say five creepy hands, yeah. but also five hearts because um, this movie did not make me feel disgusted. Like I did not feel like. Um, like it lessened my uh, faith in humanity. Like I felt a lot of sure. swelling hearts. So your heart for... loved it. Your head hated it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. of swelling hearts for the the community theater and for looking at it as an artifact in history. Yeah, cool. that's a big thing about some bad films too. Is they just make you hate the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the movies I hate the most. I think are the ones that it, it can be very well done, but it just makes me feel gross. Yeah. I, and even films that are made by filmmakers, I adore there sometimes. Some some of Tarantino's stuff, I, I walk away from and I go, nope, don't like the world anymore. But yet, I love a lot of his work. But this was like a bet. I'm like, go, guy, you yeah. did it, you made that movie. Yeah. It, is, it is impressive. Yeah. Like, I, getting I, any movie made is impressive. It is. It's so impressive. I just, I feel bad for the actors. That's yeah. the only thing. Feel bad for the people that were in that theater and they didn't know what they were about to see. Uh-huh. You right, know? Right. And then, uh, the premiere. Like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, great. And the last thing we want to do is we want to leave people with something real good uh, to try to get the taste out of their mouths from <laughs> Manos. If you, if you want to see something that is kind of like Manos maybe or can take you in a totally different direction. Sarah, what would you recommend? What's real good? So the most recent horror movie I I have seen is Get Out, Mm. which if you want... um, Speaking of Trapped. Yes, to to kind of like cleanse your palate and to watch a movie that is uh, very intentional and very um, well-crafted. Excellent. Um, I would say go watch Get Out. I think that's just an overall. You should go watch Get Out. Go watch Get Out. Yeah, Um, Tobin, I'm going to recommend a movie that's also about someone who gets mixed up with a cult. Uh, I'm going to recommend Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, um, which is as far as you can get from this movie in terms (laughs) of uh, its technical uh, (laughs) achievements, um, and is just a a, and gets really gets into what it's like to be to be drawn into a charismatic uh, figure and a perhaps nefarious cult. I think that's an extraordinary movie. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to go as I usually tend to do with these real good suggestions and ones that aren't great films overall. Many people would probably disagree with me choosing them as a real good, but films that remind me of the film I watched Mm. and I think is a 
better version and at least something that maybe not everyone has seen, uh, and that's Red State. Oh, yeah, the oh, Kevin Smith is, film. Which, yeah, Kevin Smith's film, which is his most different film from like anything he's made, and I think probably his best directing of anything he's ever made. <laughs> and it's a similar thing where it's people getting wrapped up in cultish activities and abducted and it's a very visceral film that like is not going to be for everyone. So take it with like, (laughs) go into it if you're going to watch it with that, like, but it's got really interesting ideas in it. And I think uh, say what you want about Kevin Smith. I will say some of those things along with you. Um, (laughs) But the ideas he put into this film and the way some of those things pay off is just Interesting and different from anything else I've seen. Cool. Uh, I'm going to go with another film shot on 16 millimeter that is upsetting. And you see somebody working more with their actors, which is Wes Craven's last house on the left. Mm. Um, If you want to see how visceral, (laughs) yeah, visceral horror can be done. We don't want you to feel good. No, you won't feel good. This is real good. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is that is low on the heart scale. Yeah, (laughs) it's an intense movie. But uh, Wes Craven was a humanities professor before he became a filmmaker. And he wanted to say something, and he said it. And I think that also, like, if you're looking at a film also shot 16 millimeter, shot on a very tight budget, not as tight as Manos, (laughs) but still a tight budget, and working with some non-actors and still trying to make people feel things, I feel like if you want to step into that world of, of, of visceral horror, I think Last House on the Left is a really good place to go. It's a big step. Yeah, it is. I, would, I don't think I would ever recommend that movie yeah, to anyone. That first step is a doozy. Yeah. Not the That's, remake. I, I would, didn't see yeah, the remake. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's a bad film, but I, I think that original, there is, again, it's an artifact. And it's, it's, yeah. it's so visceral. It's That's so a, visceral. Yeah, and I yeah. think Wes Craven is a very underrated artist of our time. Also, yeah, very intentional. Yeah, very yeah, right, intentional right. about everything he did. Right, yeah. And uh, if you ever get the chance, listen to some of his interviews he did with Mick Garris. They're uh, truly wonderful interviews. Uh, so that's going to wrap up this episode of Real Bad. I want to thank everybody for joining me on this episode. Uh, Matt, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter and YouTube and Instagram, all those things. It's just Matthew Gatos, one word. Excellent. Tobin, where would you like people to find you? Find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, all one word. Excellent. You've done some podcast guesting. I have. That's true. Yes, yes. That's true. Thank you very much. We're plugging now too, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, right. So I, I guessed on a few uh, podcasts with the Cage Club uh, Network, uh, and we've just started a new series called Cinemakers, where we're going through all of the work of Steven Soderbergh in chronological order. So you can find that on all your uh, all your podcasting uh your podcasting stations of choice. Yeah, they just started with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yep. I just listened to it. It was great. The beginning. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Sarah, what would you like people to watch? I don't know if I have a, much of a web presence, but uh, you can find me on Twitter, which I don't really know how to use. I, <laughs> I, know, I just missed the boat, but I'm at Sarah Mees. That's Sarah with an H-M-E-E-Z. Excellent. And check out How to Adult? Yes, check out How to Adult, definitely. And totally, Sideshow, of course. Totally different, but... <laughs> it's a great show, though. Mm-hmm. So, And uh, the host has guested on the show a couple times, Rachel Navarro. Yeah. So. Yes. Burp. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> All right, thanks, everybody. And uh, next time, we are going to be going back to the 90s with some 90s trash, courtesy of Nicole Sweeney. So I will see you then. This has been Real Bad. Real Bad.